Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Galatians chapter 3. And uh, Paul is addressing this church, uh, correcting this church, rather. Did you know that you can come to church and be corrected? That's okay. That's okay. I had someone tell me this past week, I've been praying that when I come to church, I get offended. She, she literally told me this. I, I want to be offended by the word that you minister because what, what, I'm not a, what, what gets offended is what gets disrupted is what I now challenge and confront and can change. And sometimes we avoid the things that are what God is using to shape us and shift us and change us. And so it's okay to get a little offended. You know, Jesus offended a lot of people with his words. Jesus offended a lot of people uh, with his messages. But that's okay because uh, whatever gets offended is what gets shaken, what didn't need to be there in the first place. Amen. And so Galatians chapter 3, Paul is correcting this church, challenging this church. He says in verse 1, you foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. That means you visibly saw this. This happened in your time frame. You know, sometimes we, we, we lose sight of this, that these people that are, the, 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 these letters um, that these are, are being written to these churches, we're still within a time frame of people that were alive when Jesus walked the planet. So, you know, for you and I, we're reading about something we never saw or never partook of or never really got to be a part of. But these people, they, they knew very well who this Jesus of Nazareth was. He, his fame went throughout all the land, didn't it? And so a lot of these people, not all of them, but a lot of these people have very good recollection, even a personal knowledge or a personal um, experience with Jesus, the man, whether they saw him themselves or whether this was something that they heard firsthand from someone that did. We're talking about a very close proximity. Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing? Everyone say believing. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or believing what you heard? There's the, the, the comparison that we're making or the two contradictory positions. Did you receive what you did on your own ability to keep a law, to perform, to act, to behave? Or did you receive it by simply believing what you heard? He's asking them this question. He asked in verse 3, are you so foolish? After beginning by the Spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? This is amazing. This is incredible what Paul is identifying. He's, he's helping us recognize that we have this, this natural tendency, this digression of man, that even though we started something in the Spirit, we can now try to perform and finish this thing on our own ability. If we're not careful, we'll try to finish in our own strength what we began in his strength. And this goes for anything. This goes for everything in life. Obviously, he's talking about their salvation. He's talking about, wait a minute, you came into the kingdom 
by, that by believing that Jesus Christ, who we all saw portrayed publicly as crucified, you believe that he died and three days rose again. You know, that was a very strongly refuted fact, the resurrection. People didn't have a problem with the crucifixion. With Jesus being a man that was accused wrongfully of, of treason and overthrowing a government and, and, and all these different things and, and found worthy of dying on a cross. They didn't have a problem with that. The problem that they had was, did that man come back to life and walk this earth and then furthermore ascend to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father? Did that really happen? And so Paul's addressing these individuals that started out by believing, yes, he did. He was resurrected. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. But now they have started to live out their salvation and live out their, their Christian life now on their own ability, on their works, on the flesh, on what I can do, what I'm capable of doing, what I'm capable of performing. After beginning by the Spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? Gives us this implication that if we started in the Spirit, we ought to finish in the Spirit. There needs to be a continuity here. There needs to be a consistency of a demand and a reliance, a dependence on the life of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit in our lives as believers. Did you experience so much for nothing? If in fact it was for nothing. So then, does God give you the spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law? Or is it by, here it is again, believing. Everyone say believing. Believing what you heard, just like Abraham. And now he takes this thing all the way back to the beginning. I mean, he takes this straight back to Genesis chapter 12, where we have the first mention. And he says, we've been doing this from the very beginning. Simply believing what we heard and not finding ourselves over in this realm of, okay, I got in by believing, but now I've got to stay in and keep progressing by what I do. Placing an improper emphasis and an improper value on my actions and my behavior and my formulas and, and what I'm capable of doing in my own ability. And it shows us this, that if we're not careful, we will, um, we, we will not keep the level of dependence on the Spirit of God and living out of the Spirit as we ought to. So that's what we're addressing. That's what we're trying to dissect and, and get into. We believe this, that the enemy isn't merely trying to get us to walk directly away from God. We believe that he is trying to get us to perform godly living, but in our own ability. That's the difference. That's the difference. He, the devil would much rather, rather than you denouncing God, and I don't, want to, I don't want anything to do with him, he would rather come as an angel of light with, with his tempting capacity and his seducing, right? This is how he operates. We know that he's sly. He's tricky. And so he's not saying, ah, you don't want to live for God. That, you don't, no, what he wants you to do is he wants you to try to achieve godly living, but in your own ability. Achieve God's will and purpose for your life, but doing it on your own accord. And we recognize this, that 
doing it in our own ability will not cause us to come to the same conclusion God has for us. So in my marriage, in my business, in my life, in my family, in my home, uh, in, in, in my daily dealings, look, we're not just talking about sin and unrighteousness. Obviously, that's a huge factor. Obviously, we're talking about righteous living and unrighteous living. But we're talking about how much consideration are we giving to the Spirit of God in our daily operation? Should I buy that? Should I not buy that? Should I go there? Should I not go there? Should I engage in this relationship? Should I not engage in this relationship? Should, should I uh, uh, tolerate that or should I not? Are we giving proper due consideration to the Holy Spirit? Are we giving proper due uh, uh, emphasis and value to Holy Spirit? What would you have me do? Where would you have me go? What would you have me say? And I want to tell you, I, again, I want to enforce this, reinforce this, that this is nothing kooky and weird. Super spiritual living, uh, we, we have, um, you know, placed this, you, you, you live with your head in the clouds and, and uh, you know, what's the phrase? You're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. You know, all these, all these silly things that we adopt to try to, devalue a life in the spirit. A life in the spirit isn't walking around, you know, chest out, holier than thou. A life in the spirit is just daily considering what the spirit of God wants you to do. Daily consideration. Holy Spirit, how would you have me respond? How would you have me act? How would you have me speak? What would you have me do? And letting the Holy Spirit be the lead in our lives. So go with me to Romans chapter 8. Keep this thing moving forward. I don't want to re-preach my opener or foundation, so to speak. But that's what we're talking about. Giving the Holy Spirit his due consideration in our lives and living out of the Spirit rather than the flesh. And obviously, uh, you know, many times we go here and we're contrasting life in the flesh and life in the Spirit. Romans chapter 8, Paul breaks this down. Paul helps us. See this, and I want to begin with verse 5. I'm going to be reading out of the Christian Standard Bible in verse 5. Very directly and very bluntly, he says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Very simple. I'm a very black and white kind of guy. This is the kind of stuff I like. Uh, No gray area. It's just drawing the line, and you've got two sides. You pick which one. And so if you want to live according to the Spirit, therefore you must set your mind on the things of the Spirit. If you do not set your mind on the things of the Spirit, the only other alternative is that you have set your mind on the things of the flesh, and now you live out from the flesh. It's very simple. There's no gray area. There's no in-between. Well, you know, it's a little bit spirit, a little bit flesh. No, it's one or the other. I'm either in my daily life giving a stronger consideration to my flesh and what I want to do, my preferences, or maybe the culture and society of the world. You know, a lot of times we, we don't consult the Holy Spirit because we're so busy going with the flow. We, can, we consult the majority. 
But if you really look at how the Holy Spirit operates, you'll find yourself in the minority. You'll find yourself one out of a hundred that would do it that way. One out of a hundred that would stand up for that. One out of a hundred that would say this. One out of a hundred that would go there. One out of a hundred that would refuse that when everybody else is going after it, running after it. And so sometimes what gets us in trouble is just our environment. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. Being of the world means I consider and respond and do and behave and, and talk and act like them. That's what that of the world means. I've, now, they are a greater influence on me than I am on them. In the world, not of it. So I'm in this world, but I am not called to live according to how they lived. Remember what Romans chapter 12 said, be renewed by the transforming of your mind. And he says what? Do not conform to what? The world. So the answer is what I'm setting my mind on. The answer is what am I considering? So we have two ways now that a believer can operate. This is only for believers. This is not for unbelievers. Unbelievers don't have the option to live from the Spirit. This verse does not apply to lost people. This this verse does not apply. If you're an unbeliever, you don't qualify for the option of living from the Spirit. You have to first make the decision by the Spirit that Jesus Christ died, rose again. In him, I have eternal life. I make him Lord of my life, and now I come into the kingdom. Now from there, I can make intentional decisions led by the spirit rather than by the flesh. So we're talking to believers. Believers have the capacity to either live out by the flesh or live out or according to the spirit. He goes on to say in verse six, now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. Again, another Direct, blunt, easy to come to a conclusion, no gray area, right? Easy to see. If I live out, you can live out according to the flesh. You can let the flesh rule. You can let the flesh reign. You can let the flesh dictate and have that measure of control in your life. But it will lead to death. Or you can allow the Spirit, and notice it's a capital S, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, to be the consultant to be the deciding factor, to be the one that dictates my steps and my directions and my behavior and my actions and my words. Now, again, a lot of times we use these passages to define the difference between righteous living and unrighteous living, but let's remove that. And we say that because in verses one, two, and three, he identifies that we don't have to live according to the law of sin and death but we can live according to the law of the spirit, which brings life and peace. So yes, he is referring to righteous living versus unrighteous. But I wanna step back because the same applies that I can live from my flesh and maybe what not be a sin versus a a righteous decision, but is it the direction that God wants me to take? I think we need a better sense of direction. You ever heard someone say, I have a horrible sense of direction or I have a good sense of direction? As believers, we need a better sense of direction. 
Because without the Holy Spirit, we are left to our own devices. We are left to our own ability to direct ourselves. And I don't know about you, but we're not very good at that. When I take the lead, I usually don't end up a place I might enjoy it for a season, the Bible says, but after a while, it, it, it only leads to one place. There's only one way this is gonna end, death. Death. And we're not just talking about death in our mortal bodies, although, you know, following the will of God can become a matter of life and death, literally. I mean, I've heard people say, I just heard the Holy Spirit say, don't go that way, and found out later there's a car accident. I mean, literally, down, down to that. Has anybody followed the Holy Spirit in what just seemed like it was insignificant? It was minor, didn't even really matter. But then you found out later on, that was a big deal. You know, one of my favorite sayings, one of my favorite statements is sometimes our most significant moments seem insignificant in the moment. Some of the most significant decisions I've had to make, the significant moments of my life, I mean, that I can pinpoint down to the T, at the time, seemed like this big. Seemed like I could have easily said, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. But then going back, it was, dude, if I would have said no, <laughs> I might not be here today. I might not be alive. I might not be able to do this or be able to do that. So we're, we're, this is important. This is weighty that we learn how to follow the Spirit of God and live from our spirit. Remember we said in Galatians chapter 3, that word foolish doesn't mean unlearned or untrained or, or not containing, uh, you know, literal sense um, or, or, or ability to reason or rationalize. It means this, lacking spiritual sense. Lacking spiritual sense. Many times when you see the word foolish in the Bible, we're talking about someone that doesn't lack the spiritual awareness or someone that, that doesn't contain the spiritual awareness to make a decision. And they're constantly making decisions off of the flesh. What does the flesh want? What does the flesh say? What would, how would the flesh do it? How's everybody else doing? What's the majority doing? So we've got to have something on the inside of us, and thank God we do. He's called the Holy Spirit that will speak to us and guide us and lead us. Isn't that what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do in John chapter 14, in John chapter 15, in John chapter 16? He will lead you and guide you into all truth. He will show you things to come. He'll remind you of things that I said. I mean, Listen to the job description of the Holy Spirit. He wasn't just given to you so you could pray in an unknown language, so that you could operate in power and gifts and abilities beyond your own natural ability. Those things are great. But when Jesus introduced the Holy Spirit to his disciples, he said he will lead you, he will guide you, he'll reveal things to you that haven't even yet taken place, and he'll remind you of things that I've been saying all along. Four things that have nothing to do with tongues, nothing to do with gifts, nothing to do with uh, uh, ministry. That's day-to-day -day stuff. Being led by the Holy Spirit, day-to-day, -day. driving my car, running a business, managing my home and my family, finances, purchases, 
decisions. Do I go to school here? Do I go to school there? Do I take this? Do I not take this? Consulting and living a life with a value and dependence on the Holy Spirit. Verse 7 says this. The mindset of the flesh is hostile toward God. The mindset of the flesh is hostile toward God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. If it doesn't submit to God's law, then it is impossible to come to God's conclusion. It's impossible to come to the same See, I, you know, I think there's a little bit in us that we want to arrive where God wants us to arrive. We just don't want to take the path he's laid out for us to take. At the end of the day, we know that his word says, I have plans for you, saith the Lord, to prosper you, right? For good and not for evil. I mean, we know that he's got such a great purpose and a plan for our lives, but then the path to get there, to arrive at that conclusion, is like, ah, subjectionable. I wouldn't have done it that way, God. Well, that's why. That's why I gave it to you, because I know you wouldn't have done it that way. Why? Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile to God, contradictory, contrary. Honestly, it wants nothing to do. One of the first reactions you will have, naturally speaking, fleshly speaking, when God directs and God leads is no. And now we know why. Because the mindset of the flesh says, no, I'm not doing it that way. I don't like that plan. I'm not staying there. I'm not going there. I'm not talking to that person. I'm not spending that. I'm not saving that. Now we know why. The mindset of the flesh, you know, it's kind of like my son. Whatever I say, he's going to say no. Sky's blue. No, it's not. <laughs> it's 732. No, it ain't. I mean, just, it no, doesn't matter what I say. doesn't matter what I put down. And so the flesh takes on that same stance against God. Whatever God says, what, however God leads, whatever God is directing, the flesh steps up and says, mm -mm, not going to do it. So that flesh gets in the way. And now I have this challenge because when I get born again, guess what? That flesh doesn't just go away. Now I've got this, I've got these two, you know, bumping shoulders with one another. You know, we've all seen the goofy cartoons with the devil and a pitchfork on one shoulder and the angel with the halo on the other. And, and you know, you need to do this. Nah, you don't want to do that. And, you know, just going back and forth. But, but in, in, in a true sense, in a true sense, it's, that is the war we've now entered coming into the kingdom. That's the war we now wage. It's called the eternal struggle. The eternal, never going to go away. So Paul says, do what? You crucify the flesh. You're never going to get your flesh to say, okay, I'll do it. Okay, fine, I'll do it. Nope, your, your flesh, finally you just you cut them off, put them up on the cross, and guess what? You wake up tomorrow, and Paul said, I die daily. <laughs> How'd you get back down? Get back up there. And you're nailing them back to the cross again every day. 
Because at any point I can say, you know, I'm going to let my flesh rule today. I'm going to let my natural sense lead today. And it's going to be contrary to what the Spirit would say. And in the natural, guess what? It'll make more sense than the Spirit in the moment. The Spirit, you know, typically the Holy Spirit in his directing and leading will look dumb in the moment. But in the end, it'll play out. In the end, it'll show. No, that was the right way to go. That was the right way to do it. That was the right voice to obey. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable. It doesn't even bear the capacity to yield itself to God's direction. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So one thing leads to another. Now I'm recognizing, okay, if I'm going to live out of my flesh, if my flesh is going to take the lead, I might be pleased, but he won't. And I'll compromise God's pleasure for my pleasure. Many times following the Holy Spirit does the exact opposite. I won't be pleased in the moment, but he will. That's where you've just got to decide, I'm going to take pleasure in my father taking pleasure. I'm going to take pleasure in what gives him pleasure. And even though I might not like this in the moment, even though this might not be the way I would have chosen, even though this goes completely against natural sense and reasoning, got to recognize that if he's getting pleasure out of it, then that's where I find my pleasure. That's where I want to live, pleasing the Father. Verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. I'm going to read this out of the, the Passion Translation real quick. Break some of these thoughts down. Verse 5, those who are motivated by the flesh only pursue what benefits themselves. Again, we're not just talking about sin. We're not just talking about sinfulness. We're not talking about pornography and drinking and, and treating people wrong. We're talking about day-to-day life. And sometimes we make day-to-day decisions that, you know what? We considered our own benefit rather than God's benefit. We considered how we would feel. But those who live by the impulses of the Holy Spirit are motivated to pursue spiritual realities. Here it is, look at this in verse six. For the sense and reason of the flesh is death. The sense and reason of the flesh is death, but the mindset controlled by the spirit finds life and peace. In fact, verse seven, the mindset focused on the flesh fights God's plan and refuses to submit to his direction because it cannot. Man, that, I mean, it can't get any more clear. No no matter how hard they try, God finds no pleasure with those who are controlled by the flesh. But when the spirit of Christ empowers your life, you are not dominated by the flesh, but by the spirit. And if you are not joined to the spirit of the anointed one, you are not of him. So we're recognizing that natural sense and natural reasoning will not on its own get us to where we need to be in the kingdom of God, will move us or motivate us 
toward God's purpose and God's plan. Not only can it not get there, it will not. It doesn't bear the capacity to lead us to the same place God wants to get you. Your sense, your intellect, your reasoning, your comprehension, your capacity, uh, mental capacity uh, to understand or to know can limit and will eventually limit what God wants to do in our lives. That's just the bottom line. And I know we can place a high level of knowledge and knowing and understanding and gaining in wisdom and, and, and growing in our mental capacity, and we ought to. But this is the question I would present. Is our faith informing our intellect or is our intellect informing our faith? If I could sum up tonight's message, that's where I would sum it up. Who's taking the lead is the question. Who's taking the lead? Is my faith informing what I know? Or is what I know informing what I believe? It's two different things. You've heard me say it before, but some of us know too much to believe. Come on. When we have to know, reason out, understand, comprehend before we take the step of believing, you're not in faith. Because faith is believing in what you cannot see. Faith is believing in what you may not be able to reason and comprehend. And there's no formula for it. There's no pattern for it. You cannot sit down like like doing a math problem uh, um, or solving an equation. It doesn't work that way. God asks us to take the step. That's why he said you started in the spirit. You didn't have to have all this spelled out for you. You didn't have to have this full comprehension. You yielded to the spirit of God. Now you're trying to finish on your own what you started in the spirit. Remember that day when you stepped out and you just believed because you saw it in the word. They heard and then they believed. Did we not see that? I had you repeat me twice. In Galatians chapter 3, by simply believing what you heard, he died? You mean three days he rose again? He rose and he seated with the father. He said, man, I believe that. And now all of a sudden, We believe in something so critical and so crucial that Jesus died, buried, rose again, and ascended to the Father. But now I need an explanation for how the Holy Spirit would come and give me a prayer language that would be in a language that I may not understand or comprehend. Or how could he heal? How could he deliver? How could he set free? Now all of a sudden I need explanations. And Paul's saying, you started this thing in the Spirit. Now, why are you trying to formulate this thing in a, in, in a pattern and try to have a, a you, you got to get a degree in this thing before you walk it out? No, your, your, your intellect is informing what you believe rather than believing and then you'll know. Rather than believing and then you'll know. I'll give you a couple of verses that show this to us. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. Who's taking the lead? Is it the intellect? Is it the knowledge or is it the belief? Proverbs 14, verse 12 in the New King James, there is a way that seems right to a man. Y'all have heard this one, right? 
But in the way, where does it end? That's the same place that fleshly mind ends up. Isn't that amazing? Living according to the mindset of the flesh leads to death. In the end, the way that seems right. You know, sometimes our seamer needs to get fixed. Come on. Sometimes our our seeming is taking the leading in our life, and we're living, we're trying to get through life how it seems. How it seems. Now, I'm reminded in the book of Acts where the, uh, the apostles came together and they were praying about, you know, where to go, what, what, what journey to go on, what missionary journey to go on. And the word actually reads this way. I just reminded of this just now. I can't remember the exact locations in the book of Acts. And it says, and it seemed right between them and the Holy Ghost. It seemed right. But who was taking the lead on that thing? The Spirit. See, if, my, if I'm living according to the seeming of my flesh, because look, your flesh seems things. Yes, it does. That doesn't seem right. It's the Holy Spirit. I don't know. That doesn't seem right. But on the contrary, it works in the same way where you're following the leading of the Holy Spirit and you just, honestly, you just can't say anything else. It, you know, it just seems right between me and the Holy Spirit. It just seems right that we put that person in that position. It just seems right that we make this decision. It just seems. But the lead is the Holy Spirit. I'm not just living by what feels good or what makes sense naturally or what the majority would do. We didn't take a vote. You know, it just seems right between me and the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit's not a part of it, then our seamer's off. Our seamer is broken. And the seeming needs to be led by the Spirit. The seeming needs to come from the Spirit of God. It's not just a natural feeling. Ah, it just feels right. Right? Doesn't our world want to live in the place of if it feels right, do it. Right? No, if the Holy Spirit leads me, then you know what? It's going to seem right, even though everybody else, 99, can say it's wrong. I just need the Holy Spirit. I just need to consult the Holy Spirit, consider the Holy Spirit, value the Holy Spirit. So we have a way, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Give you another verse, Proverbs chapter three. Proverbs chapter three and verse five. Y'all know this one too. It's good to know the word, isn't it? Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5. Trust in the Lord with how much of your heart? 50%, 75%, 99%. No, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And look at this. Do not rely on your own understanding. Again, lying down the middle, we're reconciling two contradictory parts. Flesh and the spirit, a way that seems right, but in its way leads to death. So that means that there's a way that may not seem right, but it's according to the spirit. It leads to life and peace. Now we've got uh, uh, this, I can either trust in the Lord with all my heart, all my heart, or I can rely on my own understanding. He's giving you the two, the two sides, the two positions, the two ways that we formulate 
our lives and decisions and directions. Who's dictating? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not uh, rely, rely, rely on your own understanding. He doesn't say do not have your own understanding. He just says don't rely on it. Do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, know him, and he will make your paths straight. Look at the very next statement. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. That word fear is really just another word for value. Respect, honor. Well, if I honor the Lord, that means I'm going to give him attention. I'm going to give him a voice. I'm going to allow him to speak into my life. Fear the Lord. That means, Lord, what would you have me do? How would you have me handle this? Where would you have me go? What would you have me say? Fear the Lord. Give him value. Give him place. If you fear the Lord according, not being afraid of the Lord, but giving him that value, that means you're going to give him not just the seat at the table, but he is the one calling the shots in your life. Because your flesh wants to call the shots. Yes, it does. We've already seen that. And when it calls the shots, it's directly in opposition of what God would do if he's calling the shots. Your flesh wants to punch them in the face. The Spirit of God wants you to buy them lunch. Come on. We have to learn in, 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 in the small things. How do we think we're going to live for God in the big decisions if we won't give him place in the small decisions? You'll let him tell you what to do with the million dollars, but you won't let him tell you what to do with $10. Come on. We've got to be led by the Spirit, rely and depend on the Spirit in all of these categories. This is what I find interesting. The enemy seduces us with our own intellect. The enemy will seduce you with your own intellect, with your own ability to understand. How do I know that? Because that's the two things he puts in opposition of one another. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not. The enemy will use your own understanding to seduce you. That's how you become a Pharisee and a Sadducee. They relied on their own understanding of scripture, their own understanding of what the Messiah would look like and be like, their own understanding of what the savior who was gonna come to save the world and save them from their sins. And when they relied on their own understanding, in the end, where did it lead them? To death, to separation, eternal separation, that they did not receive the life of God that was right there readily available in front of them. The enemy will seduce us with our own intellect. It's called the tree of what? Knowledge of good and evil. You know, there's some things we aren't supposed to know. I heard someone say this recently. He said, if your intellect is hindering your faith, you know the wrong things. Could it be possible that we've accessed and gained knowledge of something we weren't designed to know? The tree of knowledge of good, did they know good in the garden before they sinned? Absolutely, they knew God himself. 
They knew privilege. They knew benefit. They knew everything that God wanted. They knew their assignment. They knew their call. They knew their purpose. They knew what, but then this tree of knowledge of good and evil. And what is the one thing that the devil tempts them with? Fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you eat this fruit, you will become like God, what? Knowing good and evil. He tempted them with what they would discover, what they would know outside of God. God doesn't, God doesn't want you, nor has he assigned you to discover anything outside of him. Let him be the revealer. Let him open your eyes. That's why Jesus said you got to have ears to hear and eyes to see. Because if you don't, you'll accept things that are of me as truth, as real. And then you'll deny and you'll reject the things that I do have for you. See, eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil meant that they weren't eating from the trees that God did give them access to. In the moment that they took from something that they weren't supposed to, they also denied and rejected what they were. And this is the thing that I know about truth is the further away from the, the further away that I stray from truth, the more resistant I become to truth. Have y'all seen that? People today have strayed so far away from truth that they can't even tolerate truth. Simple truths. Simple things. Like gender. Simple, basic truths that ought not need much explanation. But we have strayed so far, I've, I've actually become intolerant now of the actual truth. So the enemy, he seduces us, seduces us with our own intellect. If your faith is informing your intellect, It'll be, it won't be much longer that your faith will be compromised. You, you, you can't operate in faith and knowledge and understanding. But here's what I know. If I'll operate in faith, then I will come to know. Real quick, look at Matthew chapter 13. Which one am I going to put more value on? Knowing? Comprehending? Remember what Jesus said of Thomas? Thomas, when he showed himself to Thomas, Jesus showed himself to Thomas, showed him the whole, unless I see, right? Unless I see the holes in his hands, unless I see the, the holes in his feet, unless I see the piercing in his side, I won't believe. Jesus appears when he shows them. He does it. He shows them. But he lets him know, blessed are those who believe, but yet do not see. Do you have to see to believe? Or do you believe so you can see? No, we don't believe because we understand. We understand because we believe. I'll say that again. We don't believe because we understand. We understand because we believe. 
Matthew chapter 13. We know this is the parable of the sower. I'm just going to give you the, the back end where he explains it. Verse 18 is where he starts this explanation. He says, therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, and he endures only for a while. For when when tribulation and persecution arise because of the word, immediately he stumbles. So no fruitfulness, no productiveness, no effectiveness in his life. Not because the seed wasn't sown, but because we didn't take care of the seed as we ought to. And then in verse 22, it says this, Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word. Watch this. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Again, no productivity, no effectiveness. No sign that the word was ever sown into your heart. See, it doesn't matter what is sown. It matters what you yield from what is sown. Again, another, another instance that we see that, that unless we do the right thing with the word, if we do the right thing with the presence of God, if we do the right thing with the spirit of God, that's when we produce results. We do not produce results merely because you sat in here listening to me preach, turning your Bible to verses and even taking notes. That's not what produces results. It's a great start. But producing results means we're doing the word. It means we're giving it attention and we're valuing it. We're placing uh, application of the word into our lives so we can yield those results, not just merely because we came into contact with it. Now look at these two contrasts here. Or or two examples, rather. The first one that we have, let's, let's just do all three of them. The first one, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown. This is the one who receives seed by the wayside. In essence, this is the one that is bearing lack of attention. Just lack of attention. You know, the word instructs to give, instructs us, give attention to my words, right? Just a lack of attention. It falls by the wayside. It never stood a chance. That, that seed never stood a chance of getting into the soil of the heart and then becoming fruitful. Enemy comes and he snatches it. But then the second one, uh, he who receives seed among uh, stony places, this is he who hears the word and what immediately receives it with joy. So initially when they heard it, like, yes, that's the word. I got that. I received that. But then the very next verse says it has no root in himself, endures only for a while. And what happens? What plucks up the soil or the seed? What what plucks up the word? Tribulation and persecution. Tribulation and persecution. Trials. Tragedy. The word was sown, but then something awful happens. 
somebody dies, you get sick, uh, turmoil comes to your life, and now we're not adhering to, and we haven't built our house on the rock, so we don't have that foundation, and now we slip away. We don't maintain the word that was delivered. Let's look at the third one. So remember, they got trial and tribulation. Verse 22, he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word. And this one is cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches. So the first one was trials and tribulations, pressures from the outside. But this one is our own doing. Cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches. This has nothing to do with what the world did to you. This has nothing to do with you getting sick or someone dying or financial uh, uh, roadblocks coming in place or, 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 thing, or you know, trials and tribulations, things that happen to you out of, you know, apart from your own doing. But now cares and deceitfulness of riches, that's on me. That's not the world's fault. You can't blame the world because you cared about something. You know, a, a big thing, I think I said it last week, this, this element of busyness in our lives. Busyness. Those are cares of the world. And these are ways that the enemy gets us to fall away or remove the value of being led by the Spirit and now operating in our own abilities. Distractions. You notice that these are both distractions, by the way. Trials and tribulations, distraction. Cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches, distraction. Notice both persecutions and pursuits can be distractions from what God wants me to do. Both persecutions from the outside, externally, in pursuits on the inside, internally, can both draw me away in different ways, away from what God wants me, away from fruitfulness, away from living a life led by the Spirit. These distractions. I heard someone say it this way recently, busyness is artificial significance. <laughs> That's not convicting. That's your sobering thought for the night. Busyness is artificial significance. I don't want to be so busy that I'm insignificant. Miles Monroe said one of the greatest tragedies in life is being busy but not effective. It's a dangerous way to live. You've got a full calendar. But you got an empty life. Got an empty, empty influence, empty impact on the world around you. So consumed with always doing, always being, always going, always saying, doing this and doing that. But did God direct that? Or was that a care of the world, deceitfulness of riches, or being distracted by trials? and tribulations, both yield the same result. One external, one internal, both yield the same result. Unfruitful, unproductive for the kingdom of God. They can both be distractions. So in this, we understand that it is our 
responsibility to have this full dependence, full reliance. And one of the key factors that keeps us from fully fully relying and fully depending on the Holy Spirit, it's us. It's us. It's these things that rise up, whether it's knowledge that we've gained, accomplishments, accomplishments that we've made, cares of the world, trials and tribulations. All these things can come in and they try to wedge themselves in between you and your purpose. Know this, that the enemy is not out to get you. He's out for your purpose. He's not after you. He could care less about you. But he cares about your assignment. And he cares about who you'll influence and who you'll impact and who you'll come into contact with and who you could possibly disrupt for the kingdom of God. He doesn't care one one lick about you. But now your assignment and your purpose, he's all over it. And he'll do anything possible, even by getting us to be seduced by ourselves. Even getting us to be seduced by our own knowledge, our own abilities. Have you so begun this thing in the spirit that you're now trying to finish it in the flesh? Is my intellect informing my faith? Am I all of a sudden needing explanations and outlines for things that at one point I received by the Spirit of God and responded to the Spirit of God. And then as a result of responding, I mean, I, I, I've, I've talked to people, ah, oh man, where is that? I got to go there. No, we'll have to go there next week. There's no way I can dive into that. So I just did that to get you to come next week. So you're, you're stuck now. I cannot go there tonight. I can't go there tonight. But the essence of this, the, the essence of it is this. That if we're not careful, we will deny even the most obvious. Using our intellect, using our reasoning, using our senses. Have you, have you been so bewitched that you have start, you started this thing with, with a spiritual awareness and now you lack complete spiritual awareness and you're only deducing life off of your cognitive capacity. This is not the way he designed us. This is not the way we're to operate. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.